The House will come back today and stay in session through Thursday. The Senate is in recess until after Memorial Day. Last week, the House came back to work on Monday and took up and passed two bills under suspension of the rules. On Tuesday, the House took up and passed a rule. On Wednesday, the House took up HRES 114, a resolution to expel Congressman George Santos from the House. Instead, the House voted on a party line vote to refer the matter to the House Ethics Committee. Then the House took up H.R. 3091, the Federal Law Enforcement Officer Service Weapon Purchase Act. After considering four amendments and agreeing to three of them, the House passed the amended measure by a vote of 232 to 198, with 13 Democrats crossing over to vote with the majority Republicans and not a single Republican crossing over to vote with the Democrats. Then the House took up H.R. 2494, the Protecting Our Law Enforcement with Immigration Control and Enforcement Act of 2023, also known as the Police Act of 2023. After considering two amendments, of which it agreed to one, the House passed the amended bill by a vote of 255 to 175, with 36 Democrats crossing over to vote with the Republicans and no Republicans crossing over to vote with the Democrats. On Thursday, the House took up H. Conres 40, expressing support for local law enforcement officers and condemning efforts to defund or dismantle local law enforcement agencies. After considering and agreeing to one amendment, the House passed the amended measure by a vote of 301 to 119, with 87 Democrats crossing over to vote with the Republicans and two Republicans crossing over to vote with the Democrats. And then they were done. This week in the House, as I said, the House will return Monday with the first vote set for 6.30 p.m. At that time, the House is scheduled to take up five bills and one amendment from the Senate under suspension of the rules. On Tuesday, the House will consider S.J. Res. 11. That's a Congressional Review Act resolution of disapproval of the new rules submitted by the Environmental Protection Agency relating to control of air pollution from new motor vehicles heavy-duty engine, and vehicle standards. On Wednesday, the House will consider H.J. Res. 45, a Congressional Review Act resolution of disapproval of the new rules submitted by the Department of Education relating to waivers and modification of federal student loans. Then the House will begin consideration of H.R. 467, the HALT Fentanyl Act. And it's possible that the House may take up the veto message to accompany H.J. Res. 39. That was a CRA resolution of disapproval of the rules submitted by the Department of Commerce relating to procedures covering suspension of liquidation duties and estimated duties in accord with Presidential Proclamation 10414. On Thursday, the House will conclude its consideration of H.R. 467, the HALT Fentanyl Act. Last week in the Senate, the Senate came back on Monday and voted to confirm Bradley N. Garcia to be a U.S. Circuit Judge for the District of Columbia Circuit. On Tuesday, the Senate voted on H.J. Res. 42, a joint resolution disapproving the action of the District of Columbia Council in approving the Comprehensive Policing and Justice Reform Act of 2022. The vote to disapprove the actions of the D.C. City Council was 56 to 43. On Wednesday, the Senate voted to invoke cloture on and then to confirm the nomination of Jeremy C. Daniel to be a U.S. District Judge for the Northern District of Illinois. 
Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Daryl James Papillon to be a U.S. District Judge for the Eastern District of Louisiana. Then the Senate considered S.J. Res. 18, a joint resolution disapproving the rules submitted by the Department of Homeland Security relating to public charge ground of inadmissibility. The resolution passed. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Nancy G. Abudu to be U.S. Circuit Judge for the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. On Thursday, the Senate voted to confirm her to that position, and then they were done. This week in the Senate, there won't be any action in the Senate because the Senate is in recess this week. Now, more on the Biden crime family saga. Last Monday, the New York Post reported that the Internal Revenue Service had removed the entire investigative team from its years-long tax fraud probe of Hunter Biden, apparently in retaliation for the whistleblower's decision to talk to Congress about what he saw as a cover-up in the case. The purge was done at the request of the Department of Justice, according to the whistleblower's lawyers. The whistleblower's attorneys informed leading members of Congress. Neither the IRS nor the Department of Justice responded to requests for comment. Now to illegal immigration. The Biden administration's lawlessness, especially concerning illegal immigration, knows no bounds. Two weeks ago, the Department of Homeland Security promulgated a new policy that allows the government to parole illegal immigrants into the United States without even issuing a notice that they're required to appear before an immigration judge. Rather than give them a court date to appear before they are released, as was previously done, which is itself a violation of federal law, the new policy simply asks that illegal immigrants provide a mailing address and a promise to appear at an immigration and customs enforcement facility within 60 days to ask for a date in an immigration court. That's absurd, and a federal judge put a stop to the new policy before it went into effect. Yet the Biden administration decided to continue allowing illegal immigrants to be released into the country via parole. That is a direct violation of a federal court order. Thankfully, at least one federal judge, T. Kent Weatherell II of the Northern District of Florida, is willing to stand up to hold Biden and his cronies to account. The Biden administration's refusal to follow the law has significant real-world consequences. New York City officials estimate the city will spend more than $4 billion dealing with the illegal immigrants who have flooded the city as a result of Biden's illegal immigration crisis. And New York's experience is multiplied all over the country as local, state, and federal government officials make decisions to deploy taxpayer resources to support the needs of illegal immigrants instead of American citizens. That's wrong. And what's really infuriating about it is that it is the direct and predictable result of the Biden administration's refusal to follow the law. Enter Judge Weatherell, who in an earlier case filed by the state of Florida against the Biden administration, demonstrated his willingness to stand firmly for the rule of law against the Biden administration's refusal to do so. In that earlier case, Weatherell ruled that the Biden administration had to stop what it called its parole plus ATD, that is parole plus alternatives to detention policy, because it violated the law. 
Last week, in a new case brought by the state of Florida against the Biden administration, Judge Weatherell issued an order denying the Border Patrol the ability to release illegal immigrants into the country via parole, saying the new Biden administration policy was, quote, materially indistinguishable, unquote, from the parole plus ADT policy he had rejected two months earlier. Quote, like the parole plus ATD policy, the parole with conditions policy is a processing pathway designed to relieve overcrowding at Border Patrol facilities and release large numbers of aliens into the country on parole without even initiating immigration proceedings, Judge Weatherell wrote in Monday's decision. The parole with conditions policy, he continued, operates in precisely the same manner as the parole plus ATD policy. By allowing immigration officials to parole arriving aliens into the country on the condition that they schedule an appointment at Immigration and Customs Enforcement Facility or check in online within a specified period to be placed in an immigration proceeding, end quote. Weatherell's ruling last week put the new policy on hold for two weeks to give the Biden administration time to file an appeal. Department of Justice lawyers asked for a two-week stay of the judge's order, which he promptly denied. Then came Friday, and according to a report in the Washington Times, the Biden administration continued to allow illegal immigrants into the country, paroling some 2,500 of them, even after the judge's order blocking the policy had gone into effect. Judge Weatherell was not happy. Even as he acknowledged she had a healthy degree of skepticism about the news report, he showed his mood. However, He wrote, the court takes allegations of noncompliance with its orders very seriously, irrespective of the source of the allegations, unquote. Weatherell ordered the Biden administration's lawyers to explain its continued use of the new policy he had blocked. Here's the problem. The Biden administration simply does not wish to follow the law. It doesn't make a difference how it cloaks the policy, whether one calls it parole plus ATD or parole with conditions. As Judge Weatherell says, it's essentially the same policy, and it's a policy that violates the law. And the result is the catastrophe we see on the southern border and everywhere illegal immigrants get to in the interior of the country. Now to the Julie Sue nomination. On Friday, NBC News reported that West Virginia Democrat Senator Joe Manchin had decided he would not support President Biden's nominee for Secretary of Labor, Julie Sue, and was actively seeking alternatives to offer to the White House and the Senate Democrat leadership. With Manchin's opposition, that means that if one more Democrat or independent who caucuses with the Democrats were to come out in opposition to confirming Sue, the nomination would be dead. The NBC News report said it is unclear at this point whether Manchin will publicly declare his opposition to Sue. He was said to be waiting for the return of California Democrat Senator Dianne Feinstein, who has now returned to the Senate from California, and also waiting for the possibility that Arizona Independent Senator Kirsten Sinema may oppose Sue. Senate Majority Leader Schumer has yet to schedule Sue's confirmation vote. Now to the latest on the talented Mr. Santos. House Democrats introduced a resolution to expel Republican Representative George Santos. That would be a tough vote for several Republicans, including most of the Republican members of the New York delegation, many of whom have already called for Santos to resign.
So Speaker McCarthy countered by offering instead a motion to refer the resolution to the Ethics Committee, which is already investigating Santos. The House then voted to refer the resolution to the Ethics Committee. Later in the week, Santos named himself as his campaign's treasurer. This was important because he had lost his treasure several months ago when the intensified scrutiny began, and he had not been able to replace the treasurer. No one would accept the responsibility. Campaign committees are not allowed to raise or spend money without a treasurer in place, so Santos's inability to name a treasurer made life complicated for him. There is no prohibition against a candidate naming himself as his campaign's treasurer, but it's rare. Now to what's up with the 14th Amendment. For the last several months, liberal law professors and even some very liberal politicians have argued that there's a clause in the Constitution that allows President Biden to bypass Congress entirely and just continue to issue debt. On Friday, for instance, 66 members of the Congressional Progressive Caucus sent a letter to Biden urging him to, quote, choose a solution invoking the 14th Amendment of the Constitution over a bad deal, end quote. And at least 11 Senate Democrats are on board, too, urging Biden to use it. The clause in question is called the Public Debt Clause, and it's the fourth clause of the 14th Amendment to the Constitution. It reads as follows, quote, the validity of the public debt of the United States, authorized by law, including debts incurred for payment of pensions and bounties for services in suppressing insurrection or rebellion, shall not be questioned. But neither the United States nor any state shall assume or pay any debt or obligation incurred in aid of insurrection or rebellion against the United States or any claim for the loss or emancipation of any slave. But all such debts, obligations, and claims shall be held illegal and void." End quote. For weeks, Biden has been saying he does not believe the 14th Amendment gives him the power to continue paying the nation's bills in the absence of an increase in the debt ceiling. Treasury Secretary Yellen said the same thing. The president did not have the power to do that. Yellen went so far as to say that using the 14th Amendment could trigger what she called a constitutional crisis, saying it was, quote, one of the not good options, unquote, if Congress failed to raise or suspend the debt ceiling. But on Sunday at a press conference as he was leaving the G7 summit in Japan, Biden changed his tune, quote, I'm looking at the 14th Amendment as to whether or not we have the authority. I think we have the authority, end quote, Biden said to reporters. Quote, the question is, could it be done and invoked in time that it would not be appealed and, as a consequence, passed the date in question and still default on the debt? That is a question that I think is unresolved, end quote. The Supreme Court has never ruled on the issue because no president has ever been audacious enough to try to use the 14th Amendment to bypass the Congress. The last time a president seriously considered using it was 2011 and 2013 when Barack Obama was advised by Bill Clinton that he should bypass the Congress. Obama and his lawyers concluded that the 14th Amendment did not give the president the authority to bypass the Congress to issue debt. The 14th Amendment was passed by the Congress in 1866 and ratified in 1868. It granted citizenship to all persons born or naturalized in the United States, including former slaves and it provided all citizens with what it called equal protection under the laws. 
The fourth clause of the amendment, <clears throat> the public debt clause, had nothing to do with the debt ceiling because at the time we didn't have a debt ceiling. We didn't have a debt ceiling written into the law until 1939 because up until then, every time the U.S. government had gone into debt, which was relatively rare, the Congress had acted to pay it off quickly. It wasn't until 1939 that Congress felt a need to write a law establishing a debt ceiling. So what was the public debt clause about? It was about ensuring that the federal government would pay the debts it had contracted during the war between the states and ensuring that nobody would pay the debts contracted by the government of the Confederate States of America or by former slaveholders. Winners get to write the history books and winners get their debts paid and losers don't. I'm not a lawyer, but the language of the clause and the context of its origins seems pretty clear to me. This language doesn't authorize the president to issue debt. This language merely says the debt incurred by the federal government is binding and will be paid off. Now to the debt ceiling itself. So why is it that some Democrats are urging President Biden to invoke the public debt clause of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution? to bypass the Congress and continue issuing debt. It's because as of this morning, Monday, President Biden and Speaker McCarthy are still a long ways apart on their negotiations over a bill to raise the debt limit and cut spending. Early last week, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell got his wish when he was kicked out of the room, along with Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries. As McConnell had been arguing for months, the deal needed to be struck between President Biden and Speaker McCarthy. Everyone else in the room was superfluous. So Biden deputized three key aides to conduct the negotiations on his behalf. White House Counselor Steve Ricchetti, White House Congressional Liaison Louisa Terrell, and OMB Director Shalanda Young. And McCarthy deputized two key Republican members, Garrett Graves of Louisiana and Patrick McHenry of North Carolina, and they began to really haggle. After several days of what both sides characterized as productive talks, the discussions ground to a halt Friday. Republicans walked out, saying the White House negotiators weren't being realistic. After spending a few hours apart, the two sides got back together Friday evening, but talks broke off Saturday with no progress having been made. Biden and McCarthy spoke by telephone Sunday and decided to have the two negotiating teams get back together in anticipation of a Biden-McCarthy meeting today. So the two teams met last night for two and a half hours. Biden and McCarthy will meet at the White House later today. There are fundamental differences between the two sides on spending levels. Republicans insist that we cannot spend more money next year than we did last year while Democrats refused to go back to where we were just two years ago. Democrats tried to introduce a discussion of raising taxes, but Republicans shot it down. According to the Wall Street Journal, the Democrats' latest proposal on overall spending levels is to keep non-defense and defense discretionary spending flat from fiscal 2023 to fiscal 2024. Republicans, by contrast, want to increase defense spending even as they keep overall spending back to fiscal 2022 levels, which would necessitate significant cuts to non-defense discretionary spending. Another bone of contention is the duration of the agreement. In the bill that passed the House, the debt limit is raised by $1.5 trillion or until the end of March of next year, whichever comes first. 
Any way you look at it, that would require another debt ceiling increase negotiation to take place before the 2024 presidential election. And that is the very last thing Biden wants. So whatever else is in the agreement, Biden is going to insist that the duration of the agreement last beyond the 2024 election, well into 2025. Republicans may be willing to do that, but will certainly expect significant spending cuts in exchange for that concession. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen reiterated on Sunday morning's Meet the Press that the so-called X date is June 1, just two weeks away. It will take about 10 days to move whatever is agreed to through both houses of Congress, so we are really coming up against the deadline in very short order. To be honest, I wouldn't be at all surprised if Yellen announces sometime later this week that she's found more cash than she had anticipated or something like that, just so she can move that X date back a week or two to give both sides time to move an agreement through both houses of Congress, assuming they can get to an agreement. Stay tuned. And that's our Washington Report for this week.